Hello, and welcome to another episode of PPC Town Hall. My name is Fred Valles. I'm your host. I'm also the co-founder and CEO at Optimizer. So uh, we're back for another episode, and this time we wanted to talk about something that's near and dear to all of our hearts, and that's reporting and competitive analysis. So as we all know, PPC, we're not the only people doing it, so we have to stay on top of what our competitors are doing. And then based on what we find, we have to set up our strategies to do optimizations to stay ahead of the game. And so that involves a lot of reporting. There's both internal reporting, the type of reporting you'll use to figure out what to do next so that your client will be happy. And then once you've produced those great results, obviously you want to tell the client about that. So then it comes to external, external reporting. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, internal reporting, external reporting, as well as how you bring all of that together to do some competitive analysis. And then Google has been making a bunch of changes in the last week, um, some things actually that are pretty important that many of you may not have heard about because they just posted it on the developer's blog and really not much else. But uh, you know that'll be our surprise little uh, extra segment here, and we'll talk about that too. So with that, let's get rolling with another episode of PPC Town Hall. All right, all right. Andrew, it looked like you were enjoying that little music right there. Yeah, this is like the closest thing to, uh, I don't know, like like a game just before the Super Bowl. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the Super Bowl is next. But folks, thanks for tuning in and, uh, and watching Andrew and Steven and myself. So Andrew, uh, Steve, you've both been on the show before. Thanks for coming back on. Um, let's reintroduce you for the people who haven't met you and uh, tell us where you're calling in from today. Uh, and at the same time, anyone watching, if you want to use the comment section, tell us where you're calling us from or where you're watching from. That's also going to be the way that we take questions because we are doing this live. So uh, we're going to get into some pretty cool topics here. And if you want to ask Andrew and Steve some questions, that'll be your way to do it. So we'll start with Andrew. Um, good to see you again. Where are you today? Hey, Fred. Uh, we've known each other for a long time, so uh, I really uh, appreciate you doing this. I am uh, calling in from Fredericton, New Brunswick, north of the border. We're on something called Atlantic Time, and I have not been in over six months. I have not set foot in uh, in Toronto, so, uh, you know, sign of the times. Wow, so you're one of those people who uh, decided to work from anywhere. I'm working from anywhere. <laughs> Steve, what about you? Much the same. Uh, it's funny. We were, we were ahead of ourselves. We took uh, Rankhammer 100% uh, virtual before COVID. So um, I, that means I get to be up in the uh, uh, mountains of Colorado where it's snowing. And hopefully we'll actually have a powder day this year um, and, uh, you know, have people wherever they wherever they need to be. So can't can't complain about that. You know, nice light snow is a pretty relaxing environment to be around. Not bad. Not bad. Well, good. So, you know, we, we promised people we talk a lot about reporting. Um, so uh, and, and actually, before we get into it, like a good resource is uh, is Andrew. So and one little nugget, a little fact, he wrote the, the first AdWords book. Uh, how many years ago was that now? OK, so the published book with McGraw-Hill was in 05. So we're looking at 15-ish years. Uh, but the ebook came out three years prior to that. Yeah. 
A long time. And I remember, so when I was working at Google, um, I think your book, your ebook, was sort of required reading for the, the new people joining the support staff. So that was my first exposure to uh, to Andrew, and he's sort of like this well-known figure, and everyone was looking up to him. <laughs> well, um, I thought it was pretty amazing because I, I was just trying to figure out what Google had done, and it was brilliant what they had done. Um, the simplicity and power of of allowing us to rotate ads, of allowing us to measure different click-through rates, and to reward us for better relevancy in a paid pro a product was all new. Um, by the way, the second edition, 2008, and edition 2.1, a translation into French by a Belgian uh, translator, 2009. Uh, so, uh, and then I stopped. <laughs> You've made your claim to fame, but now you're actually writing a 50-part series, and there's some good nuggets in there, so we'll touch on some of those, but uh, but let, let's maybe jump into the first one. So you wrote a post on competitive metrics, um, post average position, and Steve, obviously, I'd love to hear from you as well. It, it's not the most recent change. Average position did go away quite a while ago now, uh, but that was often like the competitive benchmark, right? I mean, and competition was basically not... We didn't care who else was on the page. It was just like, I want to be position one uh, or I want to be position two because maybe position one is too expensive and I get better ROAS uh, CPA in position two. But uh, but how have both of you shifted now that average position is obviously no longer available? Want to go, Steve? Sure. Yeah. Um, I actually love the absolute top percentage metric. Um, I think that was um, that was what we we're all looking for, really. Right at the core of it, because you could look at yourself and say, I'm I'm my average position is one point five and you could have been up there 80 percent of the time and then like three or four um, the remainder of the time. And it still comes out to one point five versus if you're um, 50 50, which is what most people interpreted that as. Right. So there are a lot of people, I think, that were pushing themselves up, bidding a lot more in the in those environments when they didn't actually need to. And uh, so it's nice to kind of see. Um, to see that as a as the if you actually have to be at the top absolute top is the best metric to actually use um, the the reality of it though is that's not always the best metric for us to use anyway because like you say ROAS is the is the king of of it all how are we doing in terms of our profitability and and everything that's associated with it so I do really love. Uh, I actually really like the change. I think it's easier to explain to someone, especially the competitive, the brand searches, those sorts of things, because um, absolute top means something to somebody. That's position one, period. End of story. It's really easy to understand. Mm -hmm. uh, the rest of the metrics are a lot harder to understand for people, though, and I tend to ignore them, at least when I'm talking to others. Yeah, and I mean, so, Andrew, you were also referring to how great it was to have an advertising system that would tell you click-through rates. And it's sort of funny, right? Because Google trained advertisers and uh, us who've been doing it for a long time to really care about these metrics and average position was something we cared about just because it was there. And it was like like a newspaper wouldn't tell you exactly what page you were on and like all, all these metrics. And we love numbers, right? Because with numbers, we can optimize. Um, okay, so then it was CTR. And then Steve, you were saying, well, you know, we, we can have positive return on ad spend. Uh, but ultimately, I find it so fascinating that so many advertisers don't really think about, well, what is that next level? How do we really connect it to the business? Because, I mean, I don't care about cost per acquisition. I care about people subscribing to my software, right? I care um, about how profitable that is. And, and so it's like you have to really take it down to as far as you can. 
um, for the business. And then there's these vanity metrics, average position, even top impression share. It's like, what does it matter if you don't make profit if those clicks are too expensive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, uh, Steve mentioned how much, <laughs> excuse me, um, how much he liked absolute top uh, so that you wouldn't be necessarily overbidding. Uh, it's also the case that uh, if it's unknown to you, it's 5% or 8% then you didn't know that you really should be bidding up. Uh, and, yep. and I'm seeing a lot of times where you're not cracking it ever. So, you know, you, you're sort of happy with your bid, but, but it is zero uh, to be absolute top. So, that, you know, all of this, obviously, we all agree uh, KPIs like uh, ROAS and profit are more important, but we need to know about the auction. And um, and it for advertisers who don't understand the competition, um, it it really slaps you in the face. You have to uh, recognize that, hey, the others want those positions too, and that's that's what PPC teaches you in this auction. Are there are there cracks where we can get enough that, uh, of what we need, as opposed to thinking. We'll just have easy sailing, right? And do you still find those cracks, Andrew? I mean, it's like in the old days, you could buy typos as keywords, and Google didn't automatically show ads for that. But now it's so much automation, it feels like if there's a good click to be had, Google's going to be selling that to as many people as it can. And like those cheap opportunities and that arbitrage is, uh, is basically not there anymore. Yeah. And when you look at it from the perspective of the US auction, it's so developed that that would and half of our clients and our revenues are from the US but it, it it can be a different picture so i will give you a couple examples and one thing is i think that others just doing it wrong despite automation despite everything else um and i i'm loath even to give away what they're doing wrong but you know you look at an auction insights report and we can come back to that what they're doing is they're um limited in budget. Let's say they're a local business, successful string of uh, chiropractors, and they don't know what they're doing and, and uh, they're doing okay with this, but the fact is they have a limited budget every month and then the bud a bid level at that limited budget is sky high. So then they're limited by budget. They only show up in the auction sporadically. Um, so a lot of people are doing things wrong enough uh, that you can find those cracks. And if not, you're just trying to minimize the damage. So um, things like, you know, in that example, backing out to your geo segments. And instead of just knowing where your, your customers are generally, you're going to have to bid those potentially with extreme precision and potentially give up on most of the metro area and then just bid way up on your, your tiny little radius, et cetera. And, and let's talk, and I'd love to hear from Steve on this too, but are you sort of alluding to you know, segmenting your campaigns and then, uh, so you're saying you have a limited budget, right? Limited budget, so you have to decide where to allocate that budget. Um, and so you say there's a certain geographic zip code, for example, where I do well. So are you saying like, you're gonna go manually after that or do you trust the machine and TCPA or TROAS bidding to handle that for you? So doing it for a business I owned or, or knew the owner, <laughs> I would start manual. I would work really hard on it and tweak every little bit. If we can get up the automation to work later on, then, then fine. Um, but we're learning so much about the competition and about ourselves in the early going. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I, I think Andrew's got the right idea. You know, feed the machine um, as much as you can manually and let it advance the learning and then switch yourself over at that point, I think is always the wise thing. Um, I, I call it judo um, in terms of the way to play around when you're in one of those competitive situations where you see that and you're not, you don't have a, um, you know, you're not going to be able to outbid that person or you're, you're in an environment where you're never getting the top position or, or other things. Um, at the core of it, you just have to come back to the, the fundamentals. What is the problem that the user is trying to solve? And can I find another judo way to get at that? Um, you know, at um, the core of it, so let's say um, I'm, I have them selling an oscilloscope or something like really uh, narrow like that. Um, there's probably not a lot of lot of people in that. There there may be a way more expensive one that's willing to bid a lot more than I am, and that competitor is always outbidding me in in the direct I'm looking for an oscilloscope sort of world. Um, but what are they? What is it that they're actually trying to do with that? And if you step yourself that one step back, you know how do I measure noise on a power line? How do I uh, measure 5G noise or whatever the it is that um, that the actual product does? And taking that one step back, that's where I find a lot of the the niches and the um, um, the uh, cracks. I think you called it, Fred, um, for, for things. Finding those can be hard, but that's where being a better marketer and thinking better about marketing makes you better at PPC in the first place, right? What is the problem we're trying to solve? And step step away from it, just trying to. Hey, here's our brand new shoes. Let me show you those kind of things that were, I, I think, a lot of us think in that mode. Yeah, makes sense. And by the way, uh, why is Steve someone we should all listen to when it comes to marketing? Uh, I didn't do a proper introduction, I feel, of you, but your agency won Best Small Agency at the US Search Awards. Um, and Steve has been a, a really long time speaker, a lot on the topic of scripts and account automation. And I think, especially in the small agency environment, uh, being able to automate to scale your business is uh, is really important. Yeah, there, there's there's times. Uh, although uh, honestly, as we were talking before the the show, a little preview of things, I've I've started to trust Google's automation a lot more than I used to. Um, that may change in the future. Again, preview of future topics that I know we're going to talk about. But um, in, in general, it, it that those things opened up possibilities for us to do things yeah. uh, that that we couldn't otherwise. And I could fall back on you know, sort of classical training as a marketer and let us be marketers rather than just tacticians. And that, that, that I think helps everybody in the, in the ecosystem a lot. So what is this thing that we, we want to talk about, right? Uh, for everyone watching. So Google put out uh, a small announcement, sort of a, a by the way on the Google ads developers blog that starting sometime in April, the smart bidding strategies of target CPA and target ROAS will go away. Yes, you heard that correctly. Target CPA and target ROAS are being sunset. Um, dun, dun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So check out the Google Ads Developers blog. But the good news is they're going away. They're becoming absorbed into maximize conversions and maximize conversion value. So these are two of the existing bid strategies. Those two bid strategies will get an additional setting so that you can put in your target CPA for maximized conversions and target ROAS when you're doing maximized conversions value. Um, so what Google is sort of saying is the ads being sunset, but it's just being absorbed. Functionality will not really change. I think there's always nuance. So let's talk about that, right? What's your guys' first reaction to this uh, announcement? 
Well, uh, oftentimes, because Google has made so many small and larger changes, they almost roll them out um, from a pre-existing long-term planning process with bullet points of each little thing and what the revenue impact has been proven to be by testing and projecting. So Google is not unaware of the revenue impact on of that change. Uh, uh, so it, it's interesting how that might, might fall out. Um, for a lot of us, it means limiting budgets uh, because we think that this uh, maximized settings are bu budget aware and we aren't quite clear on how it works and we're not ready to give carte blanche necessarily to Google to maximize anything. Meanwhile, there are a lot of accounts that include display, that include even app inventory on display. They include uh, novice account managers asleep at the switch, uh, big agencies that aren't managing the account always, not a, in every case. So have they figured out that a lot of people won't really notice um, and so that ultimately budgets will increase and more diffuse. Interesting. Are you sort of saying, are you sort of saying that people will make the switch or they will be automatically switched into the new system, but there's not going to be a, a constraint on the TCP or TROAS because people are just not that smart and they forget to do it. And so hence now, um, the budget just becomes the limiting factor. Like so, for a few months, do uh, does Google uh, at the uh, uh, sort of at the offending account managers or or asleep at the switch accounts? Um, do those budgets maybe not increase? Maybe they increase slightly. But what happens is now Google is able to sell non-performing inventory. I'm not talking keyword search. That's pretty well known. Um, but are they able to sell uh, once they've convinced everyone to turn on uh, smart shopping or other opt-ins to have display, YouTube, et cetera, uh, app inventory opted in? Um, do they simply mark up the prices now of uh, less valuable inventory? So, uh, whereas, uh, right, this is just sort of a, a way to sell a little more uh, of the lower performing stuff to people who are unsuspecting, we may not see a change, but it does affect us because now we're using a, a, a smart bidding strategy that is less transparent perhaps. So, Yeah, and Sarah's asking a good question. So it, it's not clear and um, I agree we, we've asked Google and not quite gotten the answer on that, but can you still set ad group level targets? The initial response we're getting is that that should be the case because they really do see it as just it's basically a renaming, mm -hmm. a merge. Yeah, uh, I, I've what I've seen is it's more of a merge, right? They're trying to bring those two together. So there'll be a target in terms of what they're going after, but and not a constraint. And those two obviously play with one another, right? It's one thing if it's a true constraint. And you know, at least my clients and other people's clients, I'm sure, their constraints are real, right? If they're not, um, you know, five or four or whatever their number is, they don't want to. They don't want to play in the market. Um, so that that could be a real negative for some people. It is a true constraint, or you know, you have to when you're talking about um, maximizing CPAs. Are we going to get low low quality conversions in rather than the high quality conversions we may be uh, truly going after? Right? Something I get 
um, for a business to business that's uh, on an industry publication is a much higher quality for me than um, something that's a pseudo, um, you know, pseudo spam or other things like that. And those people in some of the farms will make conversions for you. So those are the things that I worry about within this. But you know, I, I know we're also, we've also played the system a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons we're doing, it. we've over constrained ourselves right. as agencies. I, I don't put my real target in cause I know you might go over it. So I put a little lower than my real target in knowing that if you go over it, I'm still okay. So, you know, I, I think that's, that's one of the real reasons for it. Turning a constraint to a suggestion is more or less the, the idea here is at least as I see it. Steve, with uh, if you play with uh, maximize uh, conversion value right now, um, would you be? There is seemingly a, a setting to to put that suggestion in now. Yep. Uh, do you do you make use of that? I don't really use maximize conversion as a as a thing, right? Like I do target target ROAS or something that's very specific, or con actual conversion value bidding or, or things that are more along those lines, and. Uh, so the the pure maximize. Somebody was joking that they they trust a chiropractor more than, uh, than than maximize conversions. And one of the reasons I don't trust it is the low quality conversions um, that that I've seen come through. Again, business to business is a, a good portion of our business, and um, especially on display, there's farms out there that that exist um, that everything when you look at the data exit it looks normal, but you're getting Mickey Mouse as and, your and conversion. We yeah. learned, discovered long ago. It's not like you can you can negative out like sixty thousand uh, long tail uh, placements. So, yeah, exactly. Um, Whitelist um, sure. We've used maximize, uh, and it's not my idea. <laughs> my colleagues jumped in uh, a few times, and I've played with it, but it wouldn't have been my favorite thing to do. Uh, to wake up a brand new account to kickstart it, uh, perhaps um, a newer account. Uh, also, when I've been throwing in the towel on something um, with extremely confusing intent, that is a really, you know, it's a valuable product. There's a lot of different ways to look at that intent. There's some latency there. So we have attribution issues and my manual bids uh, and even my target, you know, ROAS bids weren't really getting us the feedback that we needed. And, and so I, you know, as a next resort, I, you know, put that on maximized conversions and it's, it's just as good as anything else. And now you're also learning that a Google is willing to uh, consider that a lot of inventory might be relevant. It's, it's a pretty wide open, you know, it's open-minded first of all. Um, but then of course, then you learn what you need to negative out. And that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sometimes a little too open-minded, oh, a little yeah, bit libertine, right. shall we say. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the big challenges uh, of all of it is, you know, where where does that that tension naturally place itself between the um, the desire desire to truly maximize conversions and and get as much business for our customers and and clients as we as we possibly can, and the um, the desire to maximize the arbitrage of what's out there. There's no question in my mind that that Google knows things that we'll never know about their customers before they get that click, right? That's the ECPC works, right? The things like things like that have always been um, been been good about it because of the data that we cannot be exposed to or or cannot see. Um, you know, who knows with FLOC what's gonna happen. Um, but 
even so that that amount of data that they carry on an individual customer that we can't be exposed to we have to trust them a little bit on that and it and it works um the question is how far do we push that trust and my feeling is that this might be a little bit over the line for me um in in terms of that which will push me more back into manual and and, and things that are that are along that line um but we'll see you know i'm always hopeful it depends on how strong that hint is of what the target ROAS is. You know, if I put in $200 uh, per conversion and I'm getting things at $500, that's not kosher. Um, right. And, and anything that's looser and more flexible and is really a, a dial uh, a revenue team, as Google once called somebody who wasn't supposed to be called a revenue team. Uh, you know, as, if that helps them um, uh, get past a bad quarter by turning up their profit by 2%, um, then, then the more of those they have, um, the more they can do what they promised never to do, which uh, was to kind of manage earnings expectations, which doesn't have anything to do with advertising. 90% or so. Well, Google has lots of dials, quality score being a, a fairly significant one. Yep. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think we both alluded to it as well, right? So there is a little bit of distrust and I'm going to have to see how this all plays out. But, um, you know, as far as the leads coming in and the quality of the leads and the Mickey Mouse leads, like you were saying, Andrew, um, is that the real thing here that we need to focus on is, you know, if we're going to go into a world of maximized conversions, we just need to make sure that those conversions are high enough quality. And I think a little bit the problem is that a lot of advertisers just are hesitant to communicate what's truly, what really matters to them, to Google, right? And if so, if it's just a form fill and you say, that's my lead, that's my conversion, well, yeah, great. I mean, you're gonna get lots of lead fills, um, but now that Google is not doing it to a target CPA, but to maximize conversions, well, which ones are they gonna prioritize? Well, the cheapest ones, because you can get more cheap ones than few expensive ones. But the reason they're cheap is because smart advertisers who actually communicate conversion value properly have identified these as being Mickey Mouse leads, um, yep. right? So is that really the focus? Because ultimately, I mean, I think we're all sort of acknowledging that smart bidding, automated bidding, Google knows things we can't know. And even if we knew them, we can't make auction time decisions based on that the way Google can. So, uh, right, so how do we get the best of what they offer? but without the junk that we've sort of come to see because maybe we're not reporting conversions as clearly as we can. And I think that's part of reporting too, right? It's like we always think about reporting as taking stuff out of the ad engine, but what about reporting back into it about what we care and and even restating values? I mean, if I sell, if I sell e-commerce goods and I get lots of returns, well, why shouldn't I communicate that half of my product was returned and that my ROAS, which looked amazing, actually wasn't so amazing? Yeah, those are all great points, Fred. Even uh, you might not have to communicate return rates back, but you you might be a smart marketer if you uh, if you knew that bar stools or uh, a certain style of chair didn't get returns, and and you know you can position a business very well, uh, and you should based on those kinds of things about what good quality customers do down the road and and, and on their first purchase. Uh, so th the principles here seem like they're surprisingly consistent over time. Uh, I'd like would say what we have to be on the lookout for, and you alluded to it, is almost fake conversions. Now, fake isn't exactly the right word, um, but uh, but if you look at um, it's not it's not even just 
in a lead gen business that it's a lower quality lead. Uh, it can be, it, is that uh, low hanging fruit uh, being measured? Is it, uh, you know, uh, easier? Is it brand queries creeping in to the query stream? Is it a remarketing uh, conversion and, and other easy cherry picking types of conversions? Yeah, so there's a whole range of not, so some businesses aren't nearly as, as affected. It's pretty obvious what a revenue is and it works. Um, but I'll go back to the weirdest one we ever encountered. And we realized this principle basically affects everything though. It was a niche uh, B2B email software, fairly expensive. Uh, was a security product. And oddly, they'd hired a UK-based agency that had uh, more brand experience and big account experience buying display. So they generated all of these um, leads from display that um, were coming from placements in the GDN that were, as Steve mentioned, um, made for AdSense sites. But they, they not only uh, uh, generate clicks, but owners of those sites at the time, uh, fill out enough forms to make the CPA come back normal. And Dr. Augustine Fu, uh, who's an expert on, on ad fraud more broadly, can really tell you about, it's way more widespread and nefarious in the world of programmatic than anyone can even imagine. Um, so a, a diluted version of that is just, if the bot sees easy stuff and we need to go after the harder stuff, uh, then now what? You know, we have to figure out what to do next. Right. And you've opened up two interesting topics here um, and you've written uh, on click fraud. Right. So you, you're sort of talking about click fraud leading into conversion fraud. I've actually never really heard about conversion fraud. So that's an interesting uh, uh, topic that builds on that. But click fraud, like how significant is that from your perspective? And is that something that you actually have reporting for in-house to kind of monitor how how much fraudulent or, um, and there's levels of fraud too, right? Like there's malicious fraud and then there's like uh, misintention fraud, I suppose. How much do you monitor that? And is that a big issue? No, we don't feel like we can monitor it. And we feel like Google has spent many, many years honing their, um, uh, you know, their statistical anomaly uh, uh, responses. They try to proact. I, I agree that Google tries to proactively stop click fraud and, and does have some post facto refunding going on. Um, that being said, you know, certain industries, you can just imagine the scenario. There are jerks out there <laughs> and not even uh, the sort of more techie uh, you, you know, someone who's really technical, who decides to create havoc, more like that chiropractor example, where there's six or seven known people that you compete with, and then maybe a national group that uh, is involved, and there are just a handful of them that's monkey see, <laughs> you know, uh, add monkey click add just to be a jerk. So you can't stop all of it. Um, so it really is about marketing results. And which channels are less prone to it as opposed to, you know, pristine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, sorry. Sorry, Lucky uh, 31337. You've been providing some really good uh, humorous comments here. So we just opened up another chiropractor one. So uh, we're waiting for your 
Woody reply to that? And by the way, I, the chiropractor is a disguised vertical. It's a different one. <laughs> I'm protecting client confidentiality. Yeah, and now here we're hating on chiropractors. Apologies for chiropractors listening. Um, I, the um, for, for me, in terms of our monitoring of click fraud, um, I've seen there, there's some great pictures of like uh, Philippine and, and uh, other areas, India, uh, little literal click farms where they will have a hundred phones and they're just doing this throughout, throughout the whole thing. So I'm a little bit insane about that in terms of monitoring and looking for it and seeing what's out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we'll never be able to even measure, like incentivized traffic on uh, search partners that exists and um, it's out there. Go If you want to see some of the nasty stuff that people can do, go download um, like uh, a pay to win game that, you know, has the offer walls in it and play around with that. And you'll see where some of the searches go and what some of the things they're doing and some of the MFAs that are out there that that are just pure arbitrage and you're just getting random clicks because of their design and things that are along that line. I do that all the time just for negative lists um, as best I can. Um, we also have a script will will anything that gets over a hundred uh, impressions or you know whatever number that's significant for the account will have a drop out and I'll take a look at it. Um, so we do a little bit of that mostly on the display network. It's really hard on search partners, but it does exist. Um, and the problem there is if it does, what are you going to do about it? You know, at the at the core of it, um, because there's there's no real negative search partner list. I don't like these guys, but I still want AOL. What am I going to do? Yeah, with that, I mean, it's account by account, I think. If they come in in line with uh, the same ROI, then you keep it uh, for search partners. And if it's a, just a really problematic uh, vertical, then, you know, you, you have to turn it off. Yeah, it's worth mentioning. We, I've worked in some pretty nasty verticals, which are full of fraud, too. So that's another part of it. When we're talking about um, things to negative out, maybe we should take a little detour and agree on what is the first thing you should do in any GDN campaign, even if it's remarketing. Any, any tips? I have one. Fire app, away and then I'll go. App inventory will crowd out everything else you're trying to do, right? It's not even that it doesn't perform. You can't get any of the other placements to even show up because you'd spend $3 trillion a day. Yeah. Canadian, Canadian dollars. As a reminder, we keep which is like five bucks American. So. <laughs> we used to be able to negative that all out. With, if if you don't want apps, if you love the apps, that's for you, right? But it was AdSense for MobileApps.com. That was your exclusion, and you were done, one and done. And now, what do you have to do? Well, there's no way to do it other than 151 mouse clicks to uh, exclude every single app category. Some are nested, so you'll probably, if you don't know, you'll get 86, and they'll just still be there. So that's well, and, and shameless plug. I mean, you could just use Optimizer and put the rule engine in place to do that, but uh, or do 150 clicks. Yeah, good. Yeah, we uh, there are a few tools. There are now a few tools that will ha help you do that. Hey, you guys are customers for full disclosure. Uh, yeah, yeah. The the um, the, for for me, one of my first things I'll always do is put in. Uh, like rated content and then the negative, like those those sorts of things, the, the the broad exclusions wherever I can get away with them, that helps. And I've started um, to build out a whitelist as much as I can get away with. Things that I actually know are good, um, right. even if they're off topic, and I'm trying to build those and sub-segment them down into industry verticals because I happen to believe there's enough inventory on the Google Display Network 
um, that it, it's it's virtually unlimited at this point, right? Um, so if if I have a thousand sites that I know are good, that's all I need, and I, and I'm more than happy to to just bid on those. And again, in in my world, I'm not trying to spend a hundred thousand dollars a day, so I don't need the long tail stuff. So I, I'm a whitelist fan. Yeah. I like whitelists. I think it's smart. I mean, what if, go back to being a traditional marketer, which I, I'm not, but I, I can appreciate what they did. Um, that is, here's one thing you know is solid and certain. I want to be on this publication. I don't know about the other publications. So I want my ads to show up in these places. That's not perfect, but I, I know there's just too many problems with the vastness of the uncertain universe of the rest of it. So that, yeah, mean, there, like there really, there really is, and it, it's whack-a-mole. That's the problem. Is as soon as they come in, you get another yeah. one that's garbage that comes yeah. in right now. If it's whack-a-mole, I mean that's where scripts are so ideal, right? So yeah. Steve, you probably write one that's like basically here's my list of approved sites, and then the moment I get one impression or more from something that's not on that list, negative, 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 right? And it is whack-a-mole, but at least with automation, you can sort of um, hopefully get lots of impressions that lead to not too many clicks. How we built the whitelist? Yeah, right. in reverse, right? The stuff that was good, that's that's our position list. Now, in, in terms of reporting, uh, I'm curious, and the other topic that Andrew sort of broached was remarketing being the low-hanging fruit of, say, smart shopping campaigns, uh, of really any automation that Google does, right? So how do you detect that they are picking off the low-hanging fruit and not actually providing maybe as good results um, as they claim that they are? And, and obviously, the bigger point here is, you could be on a remarketing list because your SEO team did an amazing job and got people to the website. And now the SEM team that has their cookie on that page picks it up and says, well, we'll take that customer the last mile and take all the credit for it. So is that really as valuable as you thought it was? Um, but then with smart shopping, for example, Google doesn't really break it out by uh, types. Although there was a, a hack, a recent workaround, I think, that somebody was seeing in beta and we're hoping that that comes to more. So in the reports, you could now add a dimension, which basically was going to show you when it was remarketing. Yeah. Um, so on that, uh, this is not current, but it was an example of how um, one of our team dug up um, the intel intel on um, NGA as to whether a certain campaign was producing um, uh, conversions from from remarketing audiences, there's some segmenting you could do, and he, uh, it was it was in something called smart display. It was about five years ago when there was a smart display, and there were always evolutions to these these products. But that that, that proved to us that that um, that was almost entirely um, remarketing instead of any prospecting at all. Um, but yeah, I think what, what you're also leading us to, Fred, is that. Um, Remarketing is really, really important and useful, like email, like um, we think of it as a team, a team of uh, marketing channels that if, if certain businesses need that whole team to contribute cost effectively to uh, create the most profitable growth. So in, in some cases, not enough re remarketing or retargeting is being done. For example, you might have limited reach on GDN. Uh, Facebook might be a lot better, um, even though you can't trust Facebook's internal uh, metrics. And programmatic um, is, if done well and cautiously, 
could be a huge hole um, in these things. And now we're getting into a whole new realm <laughs> based on the uh, changing uh, tracking uh, constraints that come through the main browsers available to people uh, that may really, really affect that avenue. But programmatic is much broader than just than what GDN can offer you. And if you're not reaching people a few days after they see that high ticket item, um, you could lose that sale. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of going beyond last click to try and avoid this problem. Um, I'm really curious as to how the new models are going to play with it, how uh, Flock will play with it, how all this other stuff will will work with uh, multiple touch point attribution. And as much as anything, those are questions for me right now, not answers. Flock. I've never heard Flock. Federated learning of cohorts. The, okay. the new idea that that's going to go beyond the cookie uh, for for an attribution basis and uh, and for for cohorting uh, and targeting of uh, of stuff on audiences essentially uh, of audiences, right? That's that's the um, the big specter that's out there, I guess. And who knows when that? Uh, Hi, Ginny. Welcome to to Google. Now go explain Flock to everybody. Um, which you know she's she's certainly doing her her best to do that, um, but you know with the announcement to get rid of the cookie, how does how does that affect multiple touchpoint attribution, um, which is incredibly important, especially in my for a good portion of my clients that are business to business, where we have those multiple touchpoints by by their by their nature, and like you say that if your conversion only gets half because it was truly a multi touchpoint, that helps you get away from. Um, just getting low-hanging fruit, and it has to attribute back to the original touch point as well. Um, it, it, you know, if you're in just a linear map, uh, a, a linear model, or a time decay model, or a uh, first touch value model, or whatever the whatever the sort of model you're using. But if we're going to have to go back to la last click when we go beyond the cookie, what happens? I don't I don't have an answer yet. Yeah, yeah, we're we're in a really and it, it's it's already there in some ways where you have a weird attribution difficulty in long sales cycles, of course. Um, so there's already a, a thing where it's guessing is not the right word, but understanding how to um, directionally or you know how to how to interpret weak signals that you will never see full attribution, and that sounds like it's going to get a lot harder. Um, this flock uh, concept does sound to me, again, I just create stories in my head. I imagine a bunch of wizards, like evil wizards, having strange tea and studying how to, you know, take over the world. And I, I think the wizards at Google studied Facebook and, and realized, well, now Facebook's making it a lot harder to really understand if you're getting a precise audience. And yet look at their profitability. So too bad, you can't have any targeting, um, you know, and and you can only do that if um, if we have no choice in the matter. It's my job to be the cynic, Andrew. Um, that's normally my role. Yeah, too many cynics on this call today. Yeah. Uh, hey, let's shift topics here for a second. So uh, one uh, person is asking about data visualization, right? So th this is kind of bringing back to core reporting. Uh, let's spend a minute on that. How do you guys like to do reports for your clients? Because there's a lot of complicated concepts and there's a lot of change. So how do you keep your client informed at the right level and how important is visualization in that? And if you visualize, how do you do it? Oh, I, I'll just preface this by saying my entire shtick on the last uh, vid, uh, 
thing on reporting, which was over at a at a conference series, the SMX. Um, I have to point out that I'm more about reporting to myself or for the PPC manager to find reports for optimization. The communication thing, I don't feel like I'm, you know, you should listen to me at all. Um, big companies have a lot different requirements and smaller. Our clients are a mix, but we tend to have clients ignore um, elaborate reporting. They like get they get used to the rhythm of the metrics that matter, and we jump off of the reporting, whatever it is, and and it's more ad hoc conversations that lead off in a solving a particular problem. Uh, I will say I do like uh, uh, you know whether it's in um, uh, a tool like uh, we used to use Optimizer or Quizio, uh, whether it's within Google, they used AdWords had a little reporting thing that's people now try to use Google Data Studio for that. I, I do like a simple, uh, you know, line graph that shows trend lines of key metrics, um, even going back 14 months. So that visualization I feel is important. Give people that choice between understanding a year over year or a month to month trend line. And for things like uh, mobile revenue share, uh, you know, pie, you know, pie, <laughs> a pie graph uh, is better, right? Um, you know, beyond that, you could do endless numbers of visualizations. And, um, and uh, so that's a, the thing is when and, and what is it your full-time job to do it? It's really a return on time spent issue. I think this is another place where there's a natural um, friction between what we want to say sometimes as PPC. Look at all this cool stuff we did. Um, I optimized the quality score and, and this is what happened or I um, I raised the bids by 10% and this is what happened or, or you know, we really want to detail out all of this, the cool little tactical stuff that we do and talk about exactly how it affected us. Um, like, like Andrew was saying, uh, an F500 CEO or an F500 director um, we're one of 50 tactics to them at best, and they don't care um, until they do. So I like to, in terms of reporting, I do everything in a one pager and I like to make it as simple as possible. Um, how do we do last year? How are we, you know, how, how are we doing right now? How does that compare to last year? And how does that compare to the month over month? Uh, red, yellow, green, you know, as, as simple as possible in chart form, see the numbers and just go from there with the with the coloring behind it. Keep it as, as simple as I can. Then if we need to jump into those details and somebody wants to have that discussion of like, all right, well, we are down 10% on our, um, um, you know, we, you know, the, the CPA rose by 10%. Why? What, what happened? Here's what here's what happened. And that's page two, three, four, five. They're ready. And if I never get to them, I'm not upset. That's my reporting philosophy. Um, I like to assume I have two minutes of somebody's time and that's it. If they want to take an hour, great. Um, and I have all that stuff ready and data studio 360 is my friend. Um, because once I've rolled those out for, for one person, I can pretty much copy it and do it with some tweaks for the next person. And so that helps a lot. Yeah. You know, one thing that I think we all do is, uh, we, we do, we pull, uh, reports on demand, specific answers to questions. Think about what either any version of Google Analytics offers. And uh, you can you can go in and, and be very precise in what you pull out. And so that's, you know, that monthly report is a nice ceremony that you can have. 
and and yeah, I mean, we don't do as much with fancy tools like Power BI, but uh, we've had clients just needing more color. And, you know, so we dive into GA, bring it out. This is a constant thing. I, I love to do that. And you really have to have your wits about you because someone might actually have a, made a huge mistake on the other side. Uh, so you need to be ta uh, tactful, I guess. Um, you know, for example, hey, we're down. All, like, what happened in December? That's a question. What happened? Like, oh, it was a huge fail. Meanwhile, the business is thriving. So you're, you're like, it's 10 at night. And you're like, should I just freak out right now? Um, so then you go into all of the nuances. Some examples in that case. Uh, one was that Black Friday's dates were different this year. And uh, de December wasn't a meaningful construct, whereas past 30 days was year over year. And then uh, this is very typical. Facebook wasn't reporting properly last year, and it is this year, and so on. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to have the time. I think it's great that people are doing more business intelligence. Um, we're just uh, an agency that is... Uh, you know, kind of forced to stick to the economics of how, how much time we have for any given client. So I, the one challenge I always find with, with a variety of tools is what's the source of truth. And um, that concept of, of trying to figure out what the source of truth is can be a really uh, sticky one, right? So if somebody's got something like Pardot or HubSpot or, or something like that, that's their source of truth, but it's not always got the greatest reporting tools. It's not always got the greatest, um, way to get that information back out um, into into the systems that we like to use. That can be a real challenge for things. Um, and it, and merging and bringing those things from the disparate systems is really one, at least openly speaking, is one of the biggest things that 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 I find um, find a real challenge with. Data Studio 360, at least for us, can do that pretty well. Um, although you know you're always paying for connectors, right? Um, Supermetrics, you got a great business. Um, know, uh, are you available on the NASDAQ anywhere, investors? Um, it, it, it's great because I don't want to have to program that API 30, you know, every, every time I'm doing it. I don't really even know what I'm doing to, enough to do that. And I'm pretty decent at it. Um, so that that ability, um, it, it, it does raise the cost, but not not significantly enough. And uh, where you have the the multiple multiple systems that that are out there you got everyone just has to agree on what what is the what is the system of record and what is the truth and uh it, it the biggest challenge i have is somebody's talking hubspot language or Pardot language or salesforce language or whatever else and i'm talking ga and uh those two don't always agree right oh, great point absolutely important point um on that I think as marketers, especially if we've been in a number of different situations or have a lot of experience, it's incumbent upon us to um, advise a client or, or, or a boss uh, as to the most likely to be true source of truth and, and, and definitely fend off the completely untrue uh, sources. And, and one that comes to mind is, is Shopify. Shopify has a lot of truth in there that's more true than other places. But as far as any kind of marketing attribution, uh, I wouldn't look at that at all. Um, now, that being said, with businesses we feel strongly about, feel like almost an owner, we look at everything in there. We look at the orders. Um, I just don't take it, the channel attribution seriously at all. 
Um, but to, to understand different reports in a Shopify is valuable, but um, or invaluable, really. Um, so really, the texture is important. Uh, if you have the opportunity to be able to log in to more than just the surface level GA, great. Um, but but it won't always, um, yeah, it, it won't always give credit to your channels. No, yeah, like Pardot's, as I understand it, at least, and I'm not a Pardot pro, I mean, I use it, but I'm not a pro. It's first click attribution for the most part, right? So what's the first thing that brought things along and Google defaults to last click right there, boom. Attribution just went poof. Well, and then even between Google Ads and Google Analytics, yep. one measures the conversion at the time it happened, analytics, and one measures conversion at the time the click happened, which could be on a different day, mm -hmm. um, right? So yeah, the source of truth is important. Hey, one thing we haven't talked about, and I want to kind of maybe wrap up with this, but so you talked about giving reports to your clients, and they asked the question, hey, what happened in December? Um, could have been them, could have been you, but it could have also been the competition. How do you bring that competition part into the equation? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's that's a no-brainer. Uh, uh, there are people who spend their whole lives uh, producing decks on competitive analysis techniques, and I used to attend those sessions and be blown away. Uh, but that being said, so with the example I gave, uh, that one wasn't too bad because uh, we're selling some official goods under license and uh, the competition is not as significant an issue. Uh, but with our other clients that uh, have things changing month to month, uh, and this year was an interesting one, right? Uh, the auction insights reports in Google ads are, are unbelievably helpful because we can actually even tell when big competitors exited entirely. Everyone in e-commerce is aware that at Amazon, sort of backed off when um, when there was huge fulfillment problems and a number of other large competitors. So, you know, on one hand, a number of large competitors got scared. So let's say it's in the Canadian, uh, in this case, uh, although we had a UK example as well, um, where um, large competitors were, were like spooked by COVID, like so badly that they were you know, shutting off ads. Um, and then, so when they returned, it was July though, quietly returning in July, sooner than maybe many people had assumed. And so while we continued to do well in this e-commerce COVID bump, you know, we were able to trace back, okay, but within that context, you did face more headwinds as um, all the big, big names returned to your auction. Yeah, I, in terms of what we do, um, I'm using the, the Auction Insights tool is a huge thing. I'm a big fan of it. And the the one annoying thing about it is it doesn't have um, time compare built in. So, right. you know, that's where uh, the two monitor solution or, you know, two browser tab solution is really all you need to do it. Um, but it, it's it's not built in and I don't know why. Um, but it's it's hugely valuable. And when you see that one competitor that was you know, 10% uh, overlap with you that went to 60% overlap, it tells a really quick story and it's really easy to understand when you see that that competitor come in. Um, then I use external validation. Um, personally, I'm a SpyFu uh, user. Um, it, I've always found that to be a, a, a great source. And while it's not accurate, it's relatively accurate, meaning that, that no, I don't believe their budget is $3,000 a month. Um, but if it went from 3,000 to 6,000, they probably doubled it, right? 
um, in that in that nature. So I'm um, I'm a big fan of that for for looking for those those external validations. And that also you can should see what their uh, what their uh, um, ad copy has been changing and how active they are on some of these um, some of these words that they're that they're really actively uh, you know messing around with. So the, those are the two tools we're using to 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 tell the competitive story wherever we wherever we need to. Um, and the best thing to do, by the way, is to be proactive. Go to SpyFu even if you didn't have a problem. Go to the Auction Insights even if you didn't have a problem. Because I think most of us do it when like, oh my God, our CPA went up 10%. What happened? Versus um, our CPA went down 10% and not trying to tell the story that a competitor left or um, or, or something along that line. And it kind of makes you cocky about right. The opposite happens and you have to say, uh, yeah, exactly. You're not the bad guy in this situation. Yeah, exactly. We, we, it's not just our savior. It should also be occasionally the reason, you know, that that big obnoxious competitor that was taking up number one position and bidding $200 for air conditioning in Texas. Uh, they're gone now because they figured out that, um, you know, um, a 10 percent conversion rate is still two thousand dollars. Air conditioning in Texas. I thought it was freezing there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This time of year. But well, that was that, one of the most competitive words I've ever had to bid on. Hey, uh, well, great. So this has been a fantastic conversation. I want to give each of you uh, a minute to maybe tell people how to get a hold of you or mention any points that um, we should have mentioned. Uh, Andrew, why don't we start off with you? Okay, one more point on, on the uh, competitive stuff. Um, I was helping a friend's business. He's a chiropractor. Uh, no, not really, but it's similar. And uh, people on here tend to be intermediate to advanced, but we forget that to um, the average business owner, uh, this Google Ads capabilities are like magic. The competitive intelligence you get right away is much better than uh, a lot of other ways <laughs> to look at it, right? So we're looking at, you know, what competitors are advertising. And then we look at um, there's a national company that has set up a lead gen site that it's really just the front for um, uh, dental leads by another name. Uh, sorry, chiropractic leads. So I, re <laughs> I reported this to uh, the client and they know one of the underlying businesses that gets leads from that advertiser. And they're also telling us stories about the underlying health of that whole group. And, and it's, not, you know, so we're, we're already entering into a huge dialogue about, you know, how scared should we be about this participant in the auction who seems to kind of dominate um, absolute top, et cetera. So it's, uh, it's very useful for new businesses. Uh, you can uh, get in touch with me, of course, uh, on social, uh, Andrew underscore Goodman uh, on Twitter. And also check out my uh, content series, thescienceofppc.com. And how do people find your agency? Page Zero Media, pagezero.com. Nice. Steve, what about you? Well, um, you know, I Fred was making fun of me for the fact that I don't update my blog nearly enough. So I won't say go check out my blog. Um, but check out my agency, um, rankhammer.com. Um, more than more than often, if I'm posting anywhere, I'm posting on Twitter and, you know, about at least half of it will be about PPC. It'll probably be about wine or shoes or something else, too, um, or mental health, uh, which I'm a huge advocate of. Uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I, I love to hear from folks uh, with just about any question uh, that they have about things. I'd love to just be there to support people um, with, with anything they have. I've, uh, I, I talk as much about mental health anymore as I talk about uh, PPC. So. 
uh, you know, happy to help uh, people with anything they may they may be going through if they just want to, uh, somebody to talk to. Uh, I'm here for that. Twitter is Armed Hammer, um, A-R-M-O-N-D, because I didn't want that, um, that um, you know, baking soda company to take it from me one day. Um, and, uh, and, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, we're, we're always accepting, uh, you know, new clients. So happy to hear from anyone that, that wants help. Thank you, Steve. And thanks everyone for watching another episode of PPC Town Hall. We're going to be back next week with Learn with Optimizer, and we're going to talk about how to streamline your workflows with our Blueprints solution at Optimizer. And then the week after that, we're back with another episode of PPC Town Hall. It's going to be on everyone's favorite topic of bidding, bid management. Um, and we're going to bring back Google to help answer a couple of questions. And we can definitely go into the TCPAT ROAS change and get to the bottom of all of that. So uh, if you want to see those episodes, subscribe on the YouTube channel. That's where we're going to be posting all of these. But thanks all for watching and for engaging. Thank you to the panelists for being here, and we'll see you for the next one. Thanks, Fred. It's an honor. Thanks.